Toyota with the spoiler, ace of base boiling. I play ball like Billy Hoyle. Now I need a Sydney Dean to help me start this raffle in the Philippines. I stay in flushing like I'm Dylan G. You ain't gotta open the comic book to figure who the villain be. Good morning and welcome to episode 599 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at baseballreference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Hi, Ben. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Okay. Excellent. It's a listener email show and a Play Index segment show, but before we begin, we have some banter. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about the... Um... The Dave Stewart thing. You saw the Dave Stewart thing. I did. Do you have it in front of you by chance? I do. Can you read the quote? Yeah. So this is from Nick Picoro. He's quoting Dave Stewart, the new GM of the Diamondbacks in the Arizona Republic. He was talking about many things, but specifically about James Shields and how the team is interested in James Shields. So Stewart said, I think James is a throwback guy by the way he goes about his business and the innings he pitches. I think the fact that Tony La Russa is here and that we have more baseball people, he probably sees us as a true baseball team versus some of the other teams out there that are geared more toward analytics and those types of things. Sometimes there are concessions the player will make to be here. It's the case that he likes what we're doing with our organization from our end. All we can hope is that there will be enough concessions that he can be here. Okay. So this was, uh, you know, immediately... You know, for 40 minutes, everybody was, uh, you know, making their jokes about Dave Stewart and expressing their outrage and so on. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, you could certainly, I think it's fair to say that if there was a, a team that uh, that eschewed any uh, any source of relevant information, they would be a subject to criticism fairly. However, uh, I don't really know why he said this. Um, I don't think that it is really supposed to be saying what we take it to mean. Because uh, nobody really says what people were taking it to mean uh, out loud. I'm not sure what exactly he is saying there, and why he is saying it, and who he is saying it to. Uh, I think that there are, uh, there must be subtext to it that we don't understand, or information behind it that we don't appreciate. Um, and I just wanted to know what your best guess is for, uh, for for what he's saying and why. And and uh, before I be I, to just preempt you. I, I think that probably there's some justifiable reason. I mean, I didn't find it necessarily to be criticizable because um, we don't know. We, like, I don't think we know the answers to those three things. And if you don't know the answers to those three things, uh, you can't really assume the worst, the worst possible interpretation of it, mm-hmm. which is what I think we tend to do on Twitter. Um, but what would, what would be your interpretation um, of it to answer those three questions? Well, it's hard to come up with an interpretation that paints them in a a very positive okay. or different well, light. I mean, I guess let the... Me, let me, let me get, let me, for instance, though, uh, we don't, he doesn't have to necessarily be, we don't have to assume he's speaking truthfully. He could be, you know, speaking directly to James Shields. Maybe. Right. Yeah. I, maybe I imagine he is. Yeah. So if it's an audience of one, then we have to think about what message is he trying to communicate to that audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what message do you think he's trying to communicate to that audience? Because I don't think that, there's no real in, I mean, James Shields loved playing with the Rays. Uh, I remember after they traded him, uh, I remember that he went to, uh, like a week after they traded him, the, the team bus went down to spring training, left, you know, left the trop or whatever 
to go down to spring training and he went to say goodbye to everybody and to like you know be the the wife uh sort of blowing kisses at the bus <laughs> as it left so he clearly loved being there so mm-hmm. it's not as though you're gonna convince him like oh all, any team run by uh you know wall street guy sucks mm-hmm. so that i don't think the message can possibly be that simple so what no. do you think do you think the message is simply saying we're gonna let you is this a pitch count issue is he saying uh, we're a be. team, which seems legitimate right if, if yeah. he's trying to, to negotiate with james shields or to sway james shields by saying we're not going to um you know we're not one of those organizations that's obsessed with pitch counts or that's uh, yeah, I don't know I don't know what conversations he's had with Shields but mm-hmm. you know some pitchers don't like shifts behind them for instance mm-hmm. could be something like that uh, so that's one explanation right right yeah and he does say that Shields is a throwback guy because because of that because of how many innings he pitches I, I mean maybe you could say why if you are appealing to James Shields directly then why even make this comment publicly why not just express the same idea to James Shields or his agent. And maybe it's not to James Shields. It could be. Also, we know that he has turned down one team, or at least it's been reported, that he turned down one mystery team that offered what $110 million, more than Mm -hmm. he's expected to get from anyone else. So clearly there is some team, according to this report, if this report is true, there is some team that by its nature is unappealing to him. And so he could, he, you know, like we were saying, sort of along those lines, he could be trying to set himself as the opposite of that team. Or it could be that he hates the guy who runs that team and he's, he's, uh, he's mic dropping him or something. Like he's, uh-huh. he could be, he could be subtweeting some other GM. Could be. Possible. Yeah. It's hard to say. It's, yeah, it's I mean, possible that the. <laughs> what is this, what is the scenario where, like, well, I, I mean, when you have Tony Larusa, I mean, there are some players who might be sympathetic to this viewpoint, right? There are probably more players who would be attracted to the idea of, you know, baseball men making baseball decisions than there are players who would be repelled by the idea of a team not putting all its stock in analytics. What what was it that we talked about? Who was it? Some some recently retired player was it Ryan Terrio who tweeted that thing about uh, GMs who it was like when when Farhan Zaidi was hired maybe and he tweeted something disparaging about a guy who never played the game being a GM and we talked a bit about how many players actually feel that way or whether whether there's really any advantage to having played if you're a GM at this point so there might be some players who would feel that way it's hard to imagine it really being a a deciding factor in many free agent negotiations for instance but if you have Tony La Russa on your team he's a respected baseball man so why not play that up if he's exactly. he's making your decisions that's something that a lot of teams don't have in a in an equivalent position they have an owner who or they have a a stat head guy or a guy who didn't play or a business background type in that role so that sort of sets them apart and maybe that helps more than it hurts except in the the court of twitter opinion yeah all right but it's Internet nice questions it's nice to know though that the well of diamondbacks quotes didn't dry up with kirk gibson and kevin towers leaving it is actually it's amazing to think that that stewart and gibson couldn't make it work <laughs> given given the quote right um 
Okay. Uh, by the way, when you were away last week, I, I provided a Ryan Webb update. It was not a very newsworthy one, but on this podcast it was uh, just that he's healthy and will be back by spring training, even though he had surgery shortly after. So John Morosi reported today that there is some Matt Albers news or a Matt Albers update. He's been throwing since December 1st. He's expected to showcase for clubs early next month, and MRIs have shown no structural damages. And I enjoyed the responses on Twitter to that that tweet by Morosi, which were, wow, Matt Albers, who cares? And didn't he sign with the Jays on a minor league deal? No, that was Andrew Albers. And, <laughs> <laughs> and someone who made a Fat Albert reference. So the internet was excited to hear about this. Mm-hmm. What else? Oh, the intro sound today was indirectly suggested by Louie, listener Louie, who sent it to us today. Someone actually sent it to us last July, but it's an Action Bronson song. He's well known for making baseball references in his songs. But this one, if you caught it, it's hard to hear. Go back and listen again. It references Dylan G, who is in the news today for being a trade target. So that's an explanation for that. Oh, and our friend of the podcast, Gabe Kapler, is already doing interesting stuff as the Dodgers farm director. He's instituted a policy, the LA Times reported, that the Dodgers have to have a Spanish-speaking coach on every minor league team. So they've added new positions partially to accommodate that guideline. Seems smart. He's also got me eating more eggs and sweet potatoes than I used to. Yeah, me too. I'm not sure I'm sold on sweet potatoes, but I'm I'm entertaining the idea. Internet questions. Okay. All right. Uh, Let's start with Eric, who says, Today, Craig Calcaterra reported that the Brewers are selling a timeless ticket. Apparently, for $1,000, you get a one-pound bronzed ticket. The ticket may be redeemed for one ticket to any Brewers opening day or postseason game or any... Uh, nine other home games, excluding opening day and postseason. And this is a new thing. The, the Brewers started this. They offered this in in October, and it was just the one timeless ticket, the one one piece of metal that you could redeem for a ticket to any Brewers game at any time in any year as long as the Brewers exist. Uh, and they have sweetened the offer with this this additional home games. Uh, which makes one think that maybe they weren't selling a whole lot of timeless tickets. So Eric says, if you had to choose one team to purchase a $1,000 timeless ticket, which would you choose? If you could choose the Cubs and you could guarantee a seat at Wrigley if they were on the brink of winning a World Series, would you choose a team based on a record that might be broken in the future? Are there other factors that would play into your decision? Well, we've already established in an earlier episode that records are no longer being broken. <laughs> right. They, uh-huh. they will, you know, they will start to be broken again. There will be more records broken. But currently, there are no bre- records being broken for a variety of reasons. And, th- and it is very difficult to predict what the next great record is going to be. So I think that in another era, if this were 10 years ago, you could certainly... Uh, I just remembered my bet with Andy McCullough. <laughs> Remember that one? <laughs> yeah, A-Rod's home runs. <laughs> I owe him a buck, uh, probably, <laughs> not giving up. Um, anyway, uh, so there's not really a good ticket for a record that I can think of. Can you think of any ticket for a record? I mean, um, uh, not, right? No. I mean, nobody, 
nobody's the problem is that nobody's putting up any no in this in this era in this environment right. nobody's going to do any offensive stats mm-hmm. uh, any offensive records and uh, pitchers don't pitch long enough uh, pitchers don't pitch enough innings mm-hmm. to set any good pitching stats career stats um, they don't pitch enough and they don't pitch enough innings um, so you know I mean you can get there's great you know stat head records being broken but it's not like they stop the game. Uh, because Kenley Jansen had the highest strikeout rate of all time or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not really probably going to help. So far as I can tell, it's you're pretty much stuck with team achievements at this point, I think. And the, the Cubs is so far ahead of every other possible team achievement. Mm-hmm. And also relatively likely, uh, yeah. considering. Well, the thing about this timeless ticket is that as far as I can tell, I read both Brewers' press releases. It says nothing about where the ticket is or where the seat is located, which is an important <laughs> consideration. It's in another park. Right. It's, a, it's actually in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you have to sit on the roof across from Wrigley, no matter what team you buy the ticket for. I don't know. It's uh, because if if it's if it's just a generic ticket, it's not behind home plate or anything. At what I mean, what game could you not get a ticket for a thousand dollars to? Well, you but could you get, get a ticket the, to any game for a thousand dollars. You get no, this punk of metal. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about this because I've asked Zachary Levine to write about it, and he'll write it better than I will, and I don't want to accidentally uh, mangle arguments uh-huh. that he's going to make better. But um, you do get nine other tickets. You get nine other games. Yes, so that's, that is essential. <laughs> and that's three hundred, four hundred bucks, probably ish, mm-hmm. right there, and. This is forever. I mean, it's an, I, I assume, Zachary, I think, is going to address this, but I assume that uh, ticket prices rise faster than inflation. Mm-hmm. And if you have this 10 years from now, um, I, you know, the 1000 bucks for a, a World Series ticket in, in Yankee Stadium, probably not unrealistic 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Even, even, a, even a bad seat, even a so-so seat. Yeah, sure. So you'd want to do it for the team with the most expensive tickets that you expect will win a lot. Probably. You want to do it for the Cubs. It's really, <laughs> it's just, that's the answer. It, uh-huh. In another, like I said, in another era, there would be more interesting answers. I, I think if you foresaw, I would love to have been, you know, Bonds 756th, for instance, or 71st. Um, I would love to have seen Jeter's last game. I would have loved to have seen Mariano Rivera's last game. I would have loved to see... Um, you know, the, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know this, but there have been some great World Series games in the past. Uh-huh. But at this point, you've pretty much just got the Cubs. You've got to take the Cubs. Yeah, I don't disagree. Okay. All right, let's. So, but but, but yeah. here's the thing, though. Say you get this, and your intention is to see the Cubs clinch their first World Series title. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the odds that you play it right? <laughs> first of all, first of all, you've got to get they've got to win one. So there's some odds that they'll never win one, that mm-hmm. the game will expire before the Cubs win one. You've got to be alive. Sure. For that to happen. Uh, so there's that element. There's every, you know, there's the uh, there's the actuarial table involved here. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't like it when I talk about <laughs> people this. love it when you talk about yes. people. <laughs> but uh, it's a thing to think about, um, huh. but also uh, they could clinch on the road. 
they could clinch. Uh, they could come home up three games to two, and you've got to decide whether to go see. Uh, right, they to, could be up if, three nothing. You never think you could. They could have many chances to clinch. They could have many chances to clinch. You could blow it on the wrong one. You could also be worried enough about missing it that you simply take that when game five of the LCS or the LDS pops up, you might take that opportunity to at least lock in a good game rather than the clinching game. Mm -hmm. So if you bought this, if you were a Cubs fan and you could get this for the Cubs, what would you guess are the odds that you see the Cubs clinch a World Series? Hmm. I'll say 5%. Oh, I was going to say like 18%, and I thought that was low, but yeah. No, I mean, what are the odds? Just the odds that they will win one. Pretty good. I mean, you're yeah. you're you're 14 years old, Ben. <laughs> See, they're gonna the Cubs are the Cubs are a much much better than 50 percent chance to win a World Series in your lifetime. I think. Okay. Much better. Like I would say, if you what are you really 28? Yeah. So let's give you 63 years of general awareness. Okay. Um, Thank you. I would guess that the. I will guess that Major League Baseball exists for 63 years. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good... I would say there's like at least an 85% chance of that. Sure. And uh, if it happens, I would guess that the Cubs are at least a 95-ish percent chance to win one of those World Series. Well, okay. I guess so. There are a bunch of ifs there, but pretty high probability ifs. I don't know. You'd have to have the, the discipline to hold on to it long enough for this to be worth it do you have are you a forever stamp owner <laughs> i used to want to hoard gasoline <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a bad plan uh i'm uh i uh i don't believe in this i don't believe in i don't believe in gift cards either uh-huh. generally speaking uh because you lose them <laughs> often it's, you can it's a bad it's a bad investment uh uh-huh. anything anytime you're giving money to a corporation that you can spend later you are well yeah stores love it because many yeah. people will not ever spend it and they get to keep the money so i'm not a forever stamp owner but um i i could say this one though is i could see it being a good deal financially and assuming a ticket will be available to you i mean a game seven in wrigley would be a tough ticket and you'd have one yeah Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Presumably, though, how do they guarantee you one? How do they know? <laughs> and how much time do you have to give? That is a good question. It it says there's there's something about the procedure. You have to say to redeem the owner just needs to contact the brewer's box office with their unique timeless ticket information as well as a photo ID and the date of the game he or she would like to attend. But it doesn't say how long a warning. It says. Uh, Oh, oh, okay. All ticket redemptions are subject to availability. Oh, come what? on! <laughs> that spoils everything. Yeah, I'm out. This is like when <laughs> subject this is to like availability. When, when, when this is like when Columbia House would tell you that CDs cost eight ninety nine and up. <laughs> right. Oh, really? And up. Owners of the timeless ticket more. are advised to contact the Brewers box office with their selected game as early as possible. So and well that, that that ruins the whole thing if I can't if I can't count on strolling up to the box office 5 minutes before first pitch and getting my 
timeless ticket fulfilled. I mean, they're not they're not promising anything in that language, right? Not really, no. nothing. Like <laughs> nothing is guaranteed. Like Pretty you much. could ask, you could ask. It's conceivable that you couldn't. That if you told them now that you wanted Game Seven of the World Series, that they would say, "Well, those tickets don't exist yet." And then by the time they mm-hmm. uh, they existed, they might tell you they were sold out because they had been promised season ticket holders. Mm-hmm. That's right. Huh. I loved this until, <laughs> until two seconds ago. I was just going to ask you, but do you love this? And, and you then, can't you can't actually reserve it ahead of time or far ahead of time because it says that redemptions for the timeless ticket will become available once dates for public ticket sales have been announced. So you couldn't you couldn't say I want I want a World Series ticket for 2017 right now. You'd have to wait until everyone can buy one. Huh. And I wonder if it's just a voucher, in which case, like, like, but what I'm saying is I wonder if you would have to stand in line just like anybody else. Like, if, if this is just mm-hmm. essentially good as cash, but not necessarily first in line, uh-huh. I wonder. Well, well, I mean, this... they give you, the implication of this is, like, because this is a, uh, what is it? It's like a foot tall. It's a bronze <laughs> ticket that's a yes. foot tall. The yeah, implication, it's a trophy, basically. The implication of making a big a big um, coin like this is that you can walk up and declare it's mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, but in fact, that's all very that, ostentatiously. The more ostentatiously you can do it, the better. But but you actually do not display this bronze ticket at any point. You call the box office and tell them you're a bronze yes. ticket holder, and they <laughs> send you a real paper ticket. So this bronze <laughs> ticket never leaves your house. It's worthless. It's an optical right. illusion. You get to keep it, but you don't want to keep it. It'd be better if you could lord it over everyone who didn't now, have the foresight. Why does this one have Doug Melvin's name on it? They gave one to Doug Melvin? <laughs> this feels like the like this feels like the one person who needs it less than anybody. <laughs> That's right. Well, he won't be a timeless general manager. So whenever he's gone, he can use it after that. God, just like everything. Just too many caveats. Too just good like to be everything. True. Right. The, the fine print. Like everything else this let me down. <laughs> just like my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Let's take a Vinit question. Vinit questions are always, always. solid. Never always solid. <laughs> Vinit's a Brewers fan too, right? Except for last week when he asked us a question that had already been answered. But otherwise, any Vinit question we have answered has been a good one. And yes, he's a Brewers fan. So, what if there was a distinct home field disadvantage in baseball? Owners would still want more playoff games at home for revenue, but their team would be more likely to win on the road. Would MLB offer a choice to the best record team to play on the road? Or I guess would there ever be a point where a team would choose to play on the road and give up the, the playoff revenue. Huh. So, so I guess the question is, is the, is the soul of ownership um, most interested in making money or, or winning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If the, if the size of the home field disadvantage is equivalent to the size of the actual home field advantage, I can't imagine that that would make anyone change their decision you're not going to give give up a chance for not only for the revenue but for your fans to experience a playoff home game for a small percentage swing oh, was this question about the playoffs not regular season 
Uh, no, it didn't specify. Because I don't think you get... I don't think playoff revenue goes to the home team, right? I think it gets split. All the postseason revenue goes mm-hmm. into a pot, and then it True. gets split by teams playing in each in each series. Mm-hmm. So certainly in the post in the postseason you would choose to play on the road if this mm-hmm. were true mm-hmm. although like you say you you do owe it to your fans yeah it would be an investment in the future to give your fans some use but would your fans revolt if you told them <laughs> we're going to make this have this game so that you can come see it and we will probably lose because of you it, mm-hmm. that would be like <laughs> this would be to go back to wow I mean, this would be like telling the kids, yes, we got divorced because of you. We did it because of you. Yeah. You were the one who did it to us. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I don't know if you would do it in that case. Uh, I don't know if you would. I'm not sure. but you know, Maybe it depends on how long a drought you've had, how long it's been since a, since a fan base saw its team play at home. The question is playoff games, Ben. It's specific, it, mentions, it's playoff. it mentions playoff games, but it... Uh, yeah, it, it asks about playoff games, but presumably it would apply to any game. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that... I think that... I think in this case, I think that it would always be hoarding home games, other than the playoffs, where the revenue doesn't come directly from hosting it. Mm-hmm. I think they... Although some revenue does, right? Because you would still get the, the, the concessions revenue and all that. Yeah. Uh, but I think that um, owners would always take the money. I think so too. All right. Uh, you want to do play index? Yeah. So, uh, this is a quick one, quickish one. Uh, everybody knows that, well, um, as you know, last week, um, Craig Biggio was nominated or uh, elected to the hall of fame. Uh You saw that I'm sure. Yeah. And, and so is Randy Johnson, and so is Pedro Martinez, and so is John Smoltz. And everybody knows that Craig Biggio is the hit-by-pitch king, right? <laughs> in fact, we've already had a play-index segment about it. I genuinely <laughs> don't remember that. What was it about? <laughs> um, Zachary Levine's play-index segment last week was about Craig Biggio's hit-by-pitch rate and who's had higher hit-by-pitch rates among players who haven't been hit by pitches as often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. So this is not an issue then. I'm I'm okay. I'm on safe ground. Okay. So everybody knows that Craig Biggio is the hit by pitch king. Mm-hmm. He got hit by more pitches uh, than any player in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he also got hit by more pitches per plate appearance than any player in the Hall of Fame by a considerable margin. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. he over the course of a thousand pitches, he would have been hit by 22. Nobody else is higher than 17. Which means, I mean, that's a big gap, right? If you think about it, that's like a 30% more than number two. And then number three is 14, and number four is 14. So, uh, actually, you know what? Huh, how about that? Frank Chance, actually, was hit by more pitches. Hmm. How did that happen? <laughs> I might be wrong about that. Anyway, <laughs> Frank Chance might. Everybody knows that Craig Biggio is the second <laughs> highest hit by pitch rate among Hall of Famers. Famously... The number two. <laughs> right. We're going to call it number one. We're going to assume that there's uh, some data error because Frank Chance predates 1901 mm-hmm. and play index only goes from 1901 onward. Uh, but what, what many people might not know, Ben, yeah. is that the hit-by-pitch king from a pitching perspective is 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm one in of those people. Fame? In the Hall of Fame? Who do you think is who do you think has the highest hit by pitch rate in the Hall of Fame? Don Drysdale. Number two, because number one is Pedro Martinez. Pedro Martinez mm-hmm. is the hit by pitch king for the Hall of Fame. So he uh, he would have hit twelve per thousand. Don Drysdale eleven per thousand. Technically, ever so technically, uh, they both trail George Sisler, who pitched 111 innings and hit six batters. But he's not in the Hall of Fame for his pitching or his hit by pitching. Uh, so we're calling Pedro Martinez. So in the same on the same day, the arguably all time hit by pitch king for hitters uh, will be not uh, elected, as will the all-time hit-by-pitch king for pitchers. So this got me wondering about the uh, flip side. Who are the players who are the hit-by-pitch uh, peasants, I guess? <laughs> who, sure. Who, who don't hit batters and who don't get hit by batters. I will go through very quickly because I wanted to see if uh, who who is the champion of having hit nobody. And the answer is not that interesting. Um, the From the pitching perspective, there was a guy named John Cumberland who faced... 1,400 batters, which is like, I don't know, a couple hundred innings, not much. And he never hit anybody. Uh, the active contender for that, if you want to call him active, is Andrew Bailey, who is at 872 batters. So he is about, I don't know, a year, a good year and a half or two away from becoming the all-time hit-by-pitch peasant. Mm-hmm. But he might never pitch again, uh, in which case the, uh, the best bet would be Corey Rasmus, who has only faced 328 batters. He is not even within 1,000 of the record. Uh-huh. Uh, but you can watch that. That is something you can watch. If you expand it to guys with uh, simply small numbers of hit-by-pitches, the modern standard bearer would be Raphael Betancourt, who hit one batter in 2,600 plate appearances, which came within about 400, 500 innings of the all-time record for most batters, with only one hit by pitch, that was set by a fellow named Chubby Dean, who wasn't very good. <laughs> uh, if you do three or lower, uh, that was no, that's not interesting. Uh, Greg Holland has only hit one batter, but he's a long ways away. Uh, if you go at the hitting side, Mark Lemke is the record holder for zero with thirty six hundred and sixty four plate appearances, and then. Strangely, though, and actually not and then, because Mark Lemke is included in this next fact, strangely, nobody anywhere near the top participated in the 2000s. Everybody who is uh, kind of near the top of the zero hit-by-pitch list predates 2000. And, in fact, to find somebody who even appeared in the 2000s, you have to go all the way down to Kurt Schilling, who is not a hitter, he's a pitcher, and he's at barely a quarter of Mark Lemke's. No active player is within 3,000 plate appearances of Mark Lemke's 3664. The active leader is Pete Cosma at 578. Ender Inciarte is at 447. It is very difficult, apparently, in this day and age to avoid getting hit by a pitch. And it's not that hit-by-pitches are down. They're up. They're, right. They're, uh, sorry, it's not that... Well, okay. well, sort of up. I was going to say, it's not that hit-by-pitches are up, <laughs> though they are. <laughs> It, because they're up a little, but like it just seems like they're up. The, the randomness of them maybe is up. This is what this indicates to me, is that maybe the randomness is up. Because even if you are a guy who doesn't get hit by pitches very much, you just can't avoid it anymore. There's going to be one, and I think that makes sense. There, there are a lot more pitchers who throw 
99 and 102 and so on. And eventually one of these hard fastballs is going to clip you. And so there are, of course, there are batters who are trying to get hit. There are batters who are not trying to get hit but are bad at getting out of the way. There are batters who are not trying to get hit but are good at getting out of the way. And there are batters who are uh, very, very, very much not trying to get hit, like like their entire life's goal is to avoid getting hit because they're mm-hmm. sensible, smart people who went to Princeton. <laughs> those, All of those groups of people um, are though prone to the 97 mile an hour fastball that gets away from from somebody and so uh it does seem like the extreme no hit by pitch guy has has disappeared there there might not ever be another mark lemke is what i'm saying uh the closest thing to elite active hit by pitch avoiders would be coco crisp who has only been hit five times in six thousand plate appearances and this one might surprise you ben with three hit by pitches in 3700 plate appearances Nick Punto. Huh. Wouldn't you guess that Nick Punto it... has been hit by about 150 pitches? Yeah, Does it seem like that's his deal is getting sure. pain where you know <laughs> other players would not choose pain and mm-hmm. doing things that other players would choose not to do. But yeah. in fact, no. Huh. Okay. Huh. That's right. All right. Well, that's why we do these play index segments so that we can find these things out. You can do your own play index segments at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you subscribe to get the discounted price of $30 on one-year subscription. We are short on time, but let's see if we can just cram in something here. Uh, Jared says that he is fascinated by the 1869 Cincinnati Red Stockings. We talk every now and then about how good players at various points in history were or how good they would be if we could transplant them to the future. So Jared wants to know what you think, what do we think the competition was like back then? How good would this team be today? He would not be surprised if they lost to his high school team. So this is famously the first all professional openly salaried team. They went 65 and 0 in 1869, traveling around the country it was controversial at the time to pay people to play baseball and and turn away from the amateur aesthetic and all that. So 1869 Cincinnati Red Stockings, how good are they in 2014? I, uh, I agree that they would lose to his high school team. <laughs> Depends on the high school. I don't there's, no that, there's no reason. There's no reason. I don't know. High school athletes. I mean, they've never played, Ben. They these people <laughs> made it to. These people probably didn't even true. play the game until they were 15. <laughs> true, and they're probably what catching the ball on the bounce with uh, with no gloves. Are these things always come down to the ground rules, right? Are they allowed to use modern equipment? Are they allowed to train for a while first, or are they just plopped down into a game? With no I'll preparation, let them, I'll let them train for a while, but not <laughs> not ten years. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to assume that they have the same equipment and that they are given a chance to to learn the rules. Okay, mm-hmm. but uh, they're just these were just random adult men. That's essentially who these people were. They were, Pretty you know, much. they were they were guys in good shape. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's why they were chosen. You look strong. You look like you could carry a sack of grain. <laughs> Would you like to join my team? Uh-huh. That's yeah. what the game was. You know, the rules right. were... Throwing underhand at that point. If you hit the ball, you actually had to run to first carrying a sack of grain. <laughs> so that was mostly what they were chosen for. Uh-huh. 
No, these were these were just grown-ups. I mean, like I I think that there would if you chose the all-star team of the typical slow pitch softball league, um, they would beat these guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds reasonable. I think now, ten years later, a little different, but not not super different, but quite, yeah, pretty different. Ten years later, mm-hmm. by 1900, I'm willing to give them double A status. Okay. Uh, you have to go. Can we do a one-minute question? We can do a one-minute question. Okay. It comes from Mike. He says, all this talk about Hall of Fame voting by sabermetric savvy writers versus old-school BBWAA writers got me to thinking I passed on Corey Kluber and John Lester in 2014, taking C.J. Wilson and Dan Heron ahead of them. In 2013, I passed over Alex Cobb and Andrew Kashner for PV and A.J. Burnett. Somehow I'm missing it. My fear being I am of the less effective old-school method. Can you share three or four stats you guys use to identify breakout types and maybe even a couple of names for 2015? I'm finally willing to listen. So I don't have I don't have breakout types off the top of my head. Every every spring I know I'm gonna be asked about breakout types. So at some point I actually make a list of people who I could convincingly argue could be breakout types, even though I have no confidence that I can really pick out breakout players with any reliability. Or I would be the most sought-after person in baseball. But can you name any general strategies? Or if this is an old-school guy, can't be that old-school because he's listening to our podcast. But but what would you recommend for his preparation this year that would be different from his his methods of just sort of taking a well-known guy? I it uh, there's it varies so much. It's really kind of hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, I didn't think Lester was a breakout type. No, honestly. neither did I. <laughs> uh, but I did think Kluber was. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe that just means guys who Carson Sestouli is unnaturally <laughs> obsessed with. Um, you know, FIPS that are better than ERAs. And I, I, I yeah. guess, you know, strikeout rates, basically. If you have good strikeout rates, good swinging strike rates, those are good for pitchers. Mm-hmm. If you have a guy who has been moved from an environment that seems like it got better that's that's you know that's just free money a lot of times although oh man never never had a worse fantasy season than the year Alfonso Soriano got traded to the Nationals and I was like taking Brad Wilkerson in the third round <laughs> of every league like I was so so interested in Brad Wilkerson <laughs> I Oh man, that was a Brad Wilkerson year. <laughs> um, so that stuff, and then um, you know, power. Uh, I, pref- I I I my I have a kind of very loose hypothesis that power drives everything else. So if you can just get if you just draft home runs exclusively, the rest of your team will fall into place very naturally. So just whoever has home runs is an easy one for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just you know if you haven't. In the past, look at projections and read read the people who are writing about fantasy full time and looking all of these looking at all of these stats. So they can almost save you the effort of looking at the stats yourself if you're not sure what to look at. Find someone who seems to know what he's talking about and and go with that person's recommendations. I don't know buy the buy the BP annual, which is something that I used to do for fantasy preparation before I ever wrote for it so that's helpful i don't know listen to us we'll be starting our 
our season preview, team preview series early next month and going team by team. And in the course of those podcasts, we often talk about people who could be getting better. So, I don't know, look at look at velocity, look at new pitches, although that can always be deceptive. Uh, look at people who seem to change something last year and, and do something better at the end of the year, although that can also be very deceptive too. But yeah, the... The, the BABIP stuff is always kind of a gimme all at, the, at this point. I don't know whether anyone is not looking at that anymore. But the breakouts are tough because a true breakout, when you're talking about someone who just gets way, way better than he's ever been before with no real indication that he's going to get better, those are the ones that can make your season. And they're also the ones that one can consistently predict. Yeah, so like last year, just a very quick, and this is not a me telling you about my fantasy team thing, although it will <laughs> sound like it. Uh, last year, I, I said, so I, what, two seconds ago, I said something about Kluber. I was in my two-person draft, right? Mm-hmm. And I, uh, because of, if anybody knows, remembers the rules of the two-person draft, uh, eliminations are a big part of it, and you want to get, oh, gosh, I'm talking about my fantasy team. <laughs> I ended up with Kluber, but only because Kluber and Masterson were both available. And I was willing to take whichever one he didn't take. And I had them essentially identical in my mind. And so he ended up eventually getting Masterson, and I took Kluber. And one won the Cy Young, and the other had a 7 ERA in St. Louis. And yay, I won! (laughs) (laughs) But, like, it's not like I saw any difference between the horrible guy and the great guy. So it's all total nonsense, in a sense. Yes, Okay. All right. So that's it for today. We'll be back on Friday, episode 600. I think we'll have something enjoyable to listen to. So be back then. Send us some emails for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We will be back in a couple days.